Hello, hello. Welcome to the Humentum podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Holland. I'm the content and storytelling lead at Humentum. And I'm so happy to be joined today by my friend and an inspiration to many, Luol Mayan. Uh, Luol is a former South Sudanese refugee who is now an entrepreneur and is building video and board games for peace and conflict resolution. Uh, We actually recently had Luol join us at the Humentum Annual Conference, where he did a session. People loved it. We're hungry for more. And so we wanted to invite him on the podcast to do a little more in-depth interview about his story and how he got where he is today. So thank you so much for being here today, Luol. You're welcome. welcome. All right. Well, let's get started. Uh, If you wouldn't mind just starting by telling us a little bit, telling our listeners a little bit about your background and where did it all begin? Yeah, uh, thank you so much for inviting me, and I'm really, you know, I'm really so happy today to to join you. Uh, this has been like, uh, you know, one of the things that I really want to do, and also like the Umental, uh Annual Conference was really amazing. I I managed to connect with a lot of people really, and also like uh, talking the conference, uh, sharing, you know, getting to meet with a lot uh, of people and the mass that believe in video game as a tool of change, which was really uh, very good for me. So a little bit about myself. Uh, my name is Luol Mayen, and, you know, I'm from South Sudan, and South Sudan is like, you know, the youngest country in the world. Uh, we got our independence in 2011 uh, from Sudan, you know, because of the long war, and we managed to uh, become like an independent country because of what was going on. So a little bit more about myself is that, uh, you know, the war in South Sudan like began a long time ago in 1983 and it affected a lot of people, but still my my family were, you know, they, they, they live in, in South Sudan, in Jongle State. And then in 1991, there was uh, a civil war uh, that broke out between, you know, it was it was fueled by the by the Sudanese government that uh, it became like a, you know, a tribal war that uh, a lot of people were killed. Then my parents had to flee in 1993 to, you know, to find a place where they can be able to, you know, have peace or, you know, a lot of people, like a lot of people were were killed. So they had to walk from uh, from South Sudan to Uganda. So it, it was not easy. There was no, you know, water on the way. There was no, you know, there was no food. There was no, like, it was really... A hard time for them to, and they didn't know actually where they were going. So it was they were just you know trying to find a way of escaping from from the war. From there, you know, I, my mom told me like in uh, in 1993 I was born on the way uh, between the border of Uganda and South Sudan. It, it was not easy because uh, as they were you know escaping from the war. My mom was still, you know, in hardship because she, she was still, you know, like like carrying me. So it was really uh, hard for them. So on the way, uh, I was born and not easy to raise me up as a child, you know. And then from there, we we kind of settled in in some refugee camp in Uganda, and then we went to Mungali. Mungali is actually a small uh, settlement that most of the refugees from South Sudan, you know, came to Uganda. And then from there, we we moved from that refugee to another refugee camp in, in northern Uganda. 
because of the because that refugee camp what happened was uh, there was uh, a rebel leader in in Uganda LR LRA it's called Kony he started like you know killing a lot of refugees in northern Uganda so we managed to to move from the refugees to another refugee in where I kind of like grew up in and went to school so mostly my my life in South Sudan was more of you know my parents had to you know flee the war and the way I was born and 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 moved to Uganda that's a little bit of my story from you know from South Sudan to to Uganda yeah but you really grew up you grew up in Uganda yeah I grew up in Uganda so it became a home to me camp. in a refugee camp you know the mm-hmm. thing is a lot of people think that being a ref- in a refugee camp is something like a it's a temporary thing you know it's it's not temporary you know my parents you know came there in 1993 and until today they're still there so that means like it's not temporary and that was you know realizing that you know how me a lot shaped my life because i know that was going to be my only home to live in so if it is my only home then what is my hope i had to utilize all the resources whether it's enough or not enough i had to utilize it so what was kind of a day-to-day experience of you and other kind of children growing up in the refugee camp like? In a refugee camp, some of them were born in Uganda, some of them were born on the way like like me. You know, to the extent it became like a new environment to us that uh, even farming, even there was no day-to-day more activities that we can do because uh, you either like your family either focus on something that you can, you know, you can survive on, the food you can survive on, uh, the UNHCR managed to provide uh, some part of education. So most of the children will go to school, especially me who could go to school, and then uh, come back home. But the problem with uh, the school was there were no, you know, well-educated teachers. Some of the teachers are like dropout, and some of them are, for example, if you're, in, if you're teaching a middle class, then maybe the top class uh, teacher would be the one teaching them. <laughs> the middle. So like it's more of... Kind of the same, you know, there were no qualified people to teach people. So at the end of the day, most of the children uh, don't know the importance of education, ending up in doing, you know, fighting every day, ending up uh, for girls who were so bad for them because that will actually result into earlier marriage because there's nothing that can occupy your mind. So, like, it it ended up in most of the children, you know, being corrupted, being, you know, their future where, you know, was not, like, really good for them because there was nothing that opened their mind to understand what the future holds for them. Wow, yeah. Mm. And you said that there was nothing to really occupy their mind and mm. kind of teach them about the future, give mm. them kind of dreams for the future, but there was a lot of activities like football and... Football, yeah. I mean, like, uh, football was the only, you know, soccer, like, yeah. So football was the only thing that would, that could actually unite the children because mm-hmm. in the morning you, you just... You go to school, you play football, you come from school, football. You know, everything was just uh, football. Like, that actually helped us a lot because there's an organization called uh, The Right to Play. They could, like, they were doing a lot of, you know, helping us to shape our, you know, skill in football, bringing other professional uh, footballers to the refugee camp. So, like, that was the only thing that helped us a lot to really come together as children and helping our daily life more know, pushing to the new day. When I grew up in the refugee camp, so my family was a little bit different because uh, they were so hard on me. I thought they were hard on me because uh, going to school, they would tell me to go to school every day. 
and you know and you know I go to school come back sometimes I don't reach to school because there's nothing you know that is happening in school but when they find out that I I was not in school they will come and they beat me up so they were really hard on me like you know education is important though they're not educated like they were like hard on me like no you have to study you know I remember one time that I was so uh, I was to- so tired of my mother uh I went to school then just get a paper and a, and a and a book write anything in in the book and come back and show to her that hey, I was in school but it's all nonsense in the book like <laughs> it was so like it was really like um part of the thing that I was like doing something real but it wasn't really helping me but she could like press on me to the extent that I realized that wow like this is important for my future so then from there I started developing you know myself and having a passion and having a, a love for education so that actually created opened my mindset to see how the world is going and what is required of us and what you know going reflecting back from the suffering that my mother you know went through and trying to make us better people even if it was not a choice for them to be in the refugee camp so i realized that you know what they were telling me was really important for all of us for for me my future and for for my brothers because they can look on to me so i realized that education was good for them so i started like you know going to school i started like being you know serious about the school and then from there i i managed to because i i was so skillful in a way that uh, uh in the refugee camp i could make um a small box i make box and then i make it as foam like people would come and watch uh around like 8 p.m. in the refugee camp could people could come to my place and watch a film that I created uh from the box and you know people was really so happy about what I was doing so and then from there I developed like a passion in in computer so one day I told my mother to to buy for me a computer and she was laughing at me like what are you going to do with the computer but I said just I love it I you know I I really want to do something with it and she said okay fine she spent almost like you know 3 years looking for the money to to buy for me a laptop then from there she managed to get the money after the 3 years and she bought for me a computer she brought the computer to me and said hey yes your computer so you can decide right now you know what you can do with it so you know what i said i told her thank you and then what is the next step it was hard to charge the computer it was hard to get internet so it was really like what am i going to do with it but i i was so thankful that i i have the product that i can be able to utilize so i could take the computer for charging and then have like 2 hours charge then use it every time use it every time and then one day i i went to an internet cafe and then a friend of mine installed a, a, a very good video game a grand theft auto so i phone and i i open it on my computer and i start playing it was fun that was your first video game first experience with a game okay <laughs> so yeah even playing it was a little bit hard but i could try everything like work on it and it was really good and you know then from there what i thought was hey, this is a video game i thought video game are not made by people they're like just falling from heaven or like above <laughs> and so it was it was really hard for me like to see like i you know create video game one day but i was really i i really loved it the grand table to because the graphics the the play you know was a war game so then i started like you know trying to learn more about video game you know 
getting tutorials to train myself. You had no uh, pro- computer programming education before no, that. That's yeah, not before, something you were learning. Yes, in yes, exactly. So you just so, you had found tutorials online. Tutorials online, yes. Okay. So I go to Internet Cafe, put them on my computer. Then maybe after two hours, if the computer is off, I leave it. Then again the next day, I try. It was really hard. So I my main focus was not really to develop video game for like PS building and so on. I just want to make them for fun. Like it was really good. After that, the um, war broke out in South Sudan and in 2013. Mm-hmm. And almost 300,000 people were killed, in, you know. So it became like, you know, my, my, my future, you know, my focus was after in the refugee camp, I wanted to go back to South Sudan, maybe work there. I went to school now and my mother could not be able to pay my tuition. So what I would do is that I, I cannot work in Uganda I had to go to South Sudan every like every weekend, do some project, get some money, come back to Uganda. So like that's how I managed to like start like paying my tuition in um in Uganda also. So yeah. You'd go work in South Sudan yeah. and then go to school. Go to school, yeah. In in Uganda. In Uganda. Okay. Yeah. And were you studying computers at that point? Computer yes. programming? Yes, yes. I started like doing computer programming. You know, though it was not really so powerful but uh it was helpful i could do the tutorials could also go to school so that was really helping me a lot after the war broke out in south sudan i in 2016 then there was uh there was a ceasefire that was made in 2014 so like the the rebel leader and the government came together and and we thought like there was going to be like a permanent peace deal in south sudan so like everyone was excited and then again in 2016, the war broke out in South Sudan. So and then I was actually in South Sudan, so it was a lot of people were killed. So I realized that, you know, rupees is not, you know, it's built over time. It's, rupees is something that is built over time. So, but if the war broke out, like every time people kill themselves, you know, it is something that affected me, my family, but it's still affecting, you know, everyone, every every person, every children in South Sudan right now. So I thought it was something beyond just signing like a, a ceasefire. It was something that is because it is something that we need to, you know, for the children to to be born, you know, some of them were born in war, they were raised up in war. So their mindset, their attitude, it's, you know, it, it's war. So I, I decided like it is something more than that because the, the grassroots and the youth who actually make like 73% of the population in South Sudan is under the age of 30. Wow. That's like, that's a big, like that's a big, you know, population. And these are the people that I use as a tool of war. And that's why, you know, it is hard for, for the peace to return in the country because the majority of the people, you know, most people are affected. And these are the people, they are so energetic. They are, you know, the most important thing is to change their mindset. You said the young people are used as a tool of war. Is yes, they are used as yeah. a tool of war. Yeah. So we needed something to copy them. We needed. I, I thought to myself, I needed something that can be able to engage them and help them in terms of, of, in, of changing their mindset. And then realizing me playing, you know, video game Grand Theft Auto that really helped me to, I, I could be on it every day. You know, like Addictive. Every, yeah, like I was like on it every day. So. I was like, how about I make something like Grand Theft Auto that can 
you know, that can help them change their mindset and learn something about peace building. So if you go to South Sudan, you see like children playing with guns, toy guns, playing in school, you know, there's, there's a lot because if children are so creative, they are, they are very creative, they can use anything if they don't have if they don't have anything to do. So they're was, fast learners. Yeah, yeah, they're fast learners. So especially me when I was so young, we could, you know, get our guns and make them and and do anything like try to shoot ourselves with guns. So that was our routine activity we can do. So how about, you know, bringing something so educative that can actually prepare their, you know, their peaceful future. So that's when I started like, oh, wow, like I really want to use the video game as a tool of change because they 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 are also part of the youth, you know. The 73% can be able to play like on their phone every day. So rather than like a ceasefire. So I realized that, you know, making video game as a tool of change would really um, help in terms of peace building. And how and how did you envision children, uh, particularly children in refugee camps, being able to access the game mostly with phones? So they, they have cell yeah, phones? Uh, and- yeah, so uh, when I did my... Good, and that's a good question. <laughs> so when I did my first uh, my first game, Salam, I didn't manage to do it, Like, but I was just like, let me just create it. I didn't know anything much about like the game industry. So, but I was like, let me just do this for for the people in, in the refugee camp. Mm-hmm. So I did my game. I I made the APK, which is for Android. So the APK, it's, it was so light, it was less than, you know, 7 MBs. It's, it's, it's really very light. So we you can transfer the APK using a Bluetooth. You can transfer APK using any device, but you can play it on any Android. So I, I managed to develop like the APK for uh, for, for the Salam game test it and I, I start like distributing to um, to most of the children in, in the refugee camp. So the first piece back I got was some of them were so inspired. They were like, oh, how did you do this? Well, some of them were like, even like from almost like in a day, a hundred of them can come to me. You know, how did you make this? So it became like more of helpful to them for them to realize, wow, this can be done, which was really important for the refugees to realize Right. So then from there, like, playing the game and they realized oh, this was done by their own, you know, someone who was living with them. So it helped them. And then I started, like, um, calling them to come to community centers. And then I, we played the game together and then put in some amazing game, you know, like Tempo Run. Like, there's some different kind of good game, like Grandi Christ, that can help them to compare what I'm doing with what... They are playing, so they were really so happy with uh, what I was doing. They can play together, then send you know almost two thousand people like already downloaded, like already have access to to the game in their devices on my on on Android phone. So that was like the main thing. And then from there, the the game went. People love it. I was invited to South Africa. I I was so excited. <laughs> <laughs> and this is while you're still in school, right? Yeah, you're still yeah, working. Yeah, you're yeah, working yeah, in South yeah, Sudan, yeah. then going back to school in Uganda. Exactly. Yeah. So it became a little bit like yeah, I was invited to South Africa to to talk about my game. I could not believe it. So I went, and this uh, actually helped me now to connect with the with the game community. And some of them were like, "Wow, this is good. We are going to put in our in our time. We advise you on what is the next step." So that really created. Uh, 
lot of chances in terms of developing the Salam game. And the good thing about it was um, going back to playing GTA Vice City. I use it's almost the same mechanic, but it's 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 more different, which we're going to talk about it later. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, great. <laughs> yeah. So after so after you went to South Africa and after you were kind of in school and mm. working back in South Sudan mm. uh, in university uh, in Uganda, what what was kind of the next step from there after you after you graduated? Yeah, actually, my my plan was like to be honest, I. I don't know whether I can say I had a dream or I never had a dream because, uh, you know, I was locked in a, in a cycle whereby I I could not set a a goal. In a way that I was just like, you know, let, let me do this and see what comes after. So I really didn't I I really didn't have like the next step to to follow. I was like following the what is the next thing like right here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how did you end up? I guess coming to the United States in 2017. Actually, what happened was. Uh, the game, like people, a lot of people love the game, and there was a program that was run by United States Institute of Peace, uh, Amazon, Amazon Web Services, and then uh, Peace Tech Lab, and then C5 Capital. So it's an accelerator program that brings companies that are using technology for change. So, and the phone out about my game, and it was like, wow, this is great. We, we need to bring you to the U.S., so I I was still in the refugee camp and they reached out to me and they said, what are you doing is good with technology, it's for change. So I first came here and with Amazon Web Services and C5 Accelerator plus uh, the Peace Tech Lab. So I came here for three months, helping me to to scale my business and also meet other uh, venture companies that really helped me out. Then from there, when I was here, I was with the, the World Bank approach to me to them in terms of uh, programming so that's how I ended up in in the U.S. And what was that experience like coming to the U.S. and and getting to meet the kind of game community here? Uh, it was really good because um, first of all coming to the U.S. was was amazing to me. I could not believe that I was coming to the U.S. until even when I got my visa I could not believe it still even if I said I have to be on a plane I, and then it was really nice it is it's such a country that is well respected because it has a lot of, you know, the creativity, the resources. I was really excited about it. So when I came here and got to meet with uh, so many game developers that we were already connected online and like getting to meet them, you know, physically like going to in Austin. Person. Yeah, in person, going to Austin, going to GDC in San Francisco. It was really so developing to me it was like wow this is really good and i appreciate the game community for you know for helping me out for welcoming me in the industry because it was not something that i i thought uh, someone from the refugee camp can be welcome in the big game industry i went to fx game in in north carolina like they, they made a game called fortnite uh, when i used to play i, I see their logo everywhere and I said really will I be able to see this and I, I was excited they invited me so like the game community was so welcoming and you know my biggest fear was me uh, like using game for peace building was a little bit opposite from what the most of the game companies are I thought that was going to be a biggest uh, challenge for me but they say no this is good like it we are all the industry depend on 
how do you want to use the the industry so i'm really it was really good to be in the us because it's a country that really provide you know you know opportunities to people and and grow for someone who's not very familiar with the game industry what mm. what are the current you said it's a little bit opposite of what mm. the current kind of game industry is about mm. what mm. what is the current game industry about uh that's a good question actually the current game industry like the they produce big game like like battleship like these are like you know the aa companies that are like the big companies and they make a video game for you know like battleship like stimulation like there's a lot of video game that for war for that there's a lot of them so the current industry is really it depend on what people love so it it's really huge and it's really into like more violence like a lot of you know you have to save your people and so on so it's it's big it's it's a big industry that is actually attracting a lot of young people and it's yeah well that yeah it sounds like a great really exciting you're in an exciting place in an exciting industry and thank you so much for sharing kind of the first part of your really inspiring story as to how you got to where you are today um in our next episode with luau we will discuss his games both of his games that he's created how they're played uh where you can access them and how he developed them uh, so thanks again, Luol, for being here. And please subscribe to Humentum's podcast for episode two and all future episodes. 